I'm glad you're all here. Thanks for coming out. Let me start us off tonight before we sing. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 2. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen. Would you stand with me? And we'll turn to page 155. It's called The Heavenly Vision, but it's Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, page 155, and we'll sing together. seated just a couple announcements I guess continuing from what we heard or we heard these this morning uh, one thing I can't remember if we mentioned it or not but this Wednesday night the quarterly business meeting at 630 but also the youth will still be having youth the children's program will not be taking place uh, but youth will still be having youth this Wednesday at 630 which is also the quarterly business meeting at 6.30. Uh, choir practice will begin again on August 20th at 6.30. Anthem is beginning once more on September the 8th. 
Also, uh, the fall session of Grief Share will begin on August 20th at 1 p.m. It will go until November 19th. Those are in the Heritage Room. Uh, you can register on the website or call the church office. The number's there in the bulletin. Uh, the 25th is Heritage Sunday. We gather at the church beginning at 3. For those of you that would like to, for games and things like that, we'll eat at 5 o'clock. And the concert with the Ron Retro Trio will be at 6 o'clock. Uh, meat and beverages will be provided. Please, please bring a covered dish. I've never understood that. Um, don't leave the dish uncovered. If you bring it, make sure it's covered for that. I think you can uncover it when it's time to eat. I'm not sure, but just follow those instructions. Also, Promotion Sunday will be held August 25th during the Sunday school hour. That will be at 9.30 down in the downstairs, the children's area. Also, And then one change to... On September 8th, we begin a new children's church program. It'll be held during our morning service time. It's for children grades 3 to 5, 3rd to 5th grade. So just FYI, um, just letting you know that that's actually for grades 3 through 5. More information will be uh, available later. So if we could at this time, let's go ahead and take our evening offering. Father, we thank you, Lord, for who you are and for what you've accomplished for us in Christ. And, Father, we praise you for the way that you provide for us through these funds, Father. And we thank you for providing them, everyone that uh, gives to this, Father. We thank you. And, Lord, I pray that you would bless these funds for your name and your glory in our community, in our church. Father, we thank you for them. And we ask and pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. All right, if you have your Bibles tonight and would like to turn to Luke once more, we'll look to chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. <clears throat> when I was preaching through Luke a couple years ago uh, in Brawley, I came across a story out of Ningbo, China, I think is how you say it, where a man was killed by tigers at a zoo called Yungor Zoo. He was visiting the zoo with his wife and children. Uh, they got there. They were with, it was their family and uh, some family friends. He and the husband of the other group noticed that there was a, an opening that could actually crawl up through and get into the zoo without having to pay. And so they, they went to do that when, when the, um, the opening was at the tiger enclosure. And so when the one gentleman saw that it was the tiger enclosure, he wouldn't do it. The other guy, the dad, with his wife and kids present, crawled up into the tiger enclosure, and needless to say, they were not pleased that he did not purchase a ticket. And so they um, they did what tigers do, and he did not make it, and that was in front of his entire family. You can imagine what happened. It was awful. He did not survive. And and these kinds of things happen way too often, don't they? And we, 
we shake our heads in disbelief at reports and stories like this because we all know it's just it's common sense, right? There there are some things you just should not get close to. You know, you just shouldn't get close to them. You don't tease like the running of the bulls in in Spain. Why do they do that, right? I mean, you know better than to get close to those animals or or lions, tigers, things like that. There there has to be some separation between human beings and things that are just too powerful that could hurt them, especially if you meet them on their own terms. The entire Old Testament era was defined by separation. It was defined by the fact that um, human beings simply could not get that close to God. The structure of the tabernacle and then the temple was such that it was clear it, not anyone that wanted to could just come rambling into the presence of Almighty God when it was localized in that one place. We're from the dust. We're from the earth. God dwells in what the Bible calls unapproachable light. And then God came in human flesh and everything changed. Everything changed. The depth of that change is displayed beautifully tonight in the story from Luke's gospel and the parable that goes along with it. What God has done for us in the person of His Son invites our reckless love tonight because He's forgiven us for more than we can possibly imagine. Let, let, let me pray once more for us. Father, I thank You for this night. I thank You, Lord, for those that are able to gather here. And Father, we gather around Your Son, around what He has done for us. Lord, I pray that You would uh, open this text to us by Your Spirit. Teach us uh, to draw out of it what You breathed into it. And Father, we ask and pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm actually going to I'm going to start at verse 33. Let me start at verse 33 of Luke chapter 7. The, the, where we're at tonight is 35 to, to 50, but let's, uh, let's start in 33. It says, Jesus says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. So the opposite, right? And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, wisdom is justified by all her children. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. So the front end here, Jesus rebuked the Israel of his generation for being like children, um, sitting in the marketplace, um, whining to one another for not doing what they wanted each other to do. That's actually, I should have read up just a few verses prior. He's commenting on the fact that it didn't matter what the word to them from the Lord was, they dismissed it by complaining about the messenger. And what he's saying is, is that they're basically like little children that say, give us what we want or we'll take our ball and go home. 
That's basically what he's accusing them of. They said that John the Baptist was demon-possessed because he didn't eat bread or drink wine at all. They called Jesus, the Son of Man, a glutton and a drunk for eating and drinking too much or eating and drinking at all. But his actions, Jesus' actions were proved to actually be wisdom, not by the opinions of the crowd, but by the results that they created. And in our text tonight, we see one of the children of the wisdom of the way of Jesus. So all through Luke's gospel, Jesus ate with sinners. It's, it's central to Luke. It's central to Mark as well. Sometimes with tax collectors and prostitutes, sometimes with Pharisees, always with sinners, right? Always with sinners. Showing that in Luke, this was the year of Jubilee. He brought good news for the poor, freedom for captives. So when a Pharisee asked him to eat at his home, Jesus went there also, right? He was reclining at table there, laying on his side at a table about, would have been about 18 inches or so off the ground. That, that was the table. Um, laying on his side, probably, or up on his arm, uh, with his legs out behind him or, or off to the side, and a woman of the city who was a sinner. That's a prostitute, right? A woman of the city heard that Jesus was in this house, so she comes to see him, and she brings an alabaster flask of ointment, very expensive perfume, probably one of the nicest things she had, and probably purchased for her profession with money from her profession. And she stood behind him weeping, weeping. There's no way to know exactly who this woman was. There are theories, and that's fine that it was uh, Mary Magdalene or Mary the sister of Lazarus, but those have no real basis in Scripture, so it's best for us to just leave her unnamed. I think it's interesting who is named in the story and who isn't. It doesn't hurt or change the substance of the story at all that we don't know her name, but what we do know, what do we know about her? She was a prostitute. She brought a precious gift to Jesus, and she wept. I love that she's unnamed. It's, it's, it's just a woman, another woman who has heard Jesus speak, obviously, and is aware of his message. And with what happened prior to this in chapter 7, we can infer that she was the kind of person that Jesus would have been close to that would have gotten him reviled by those, those crowds, as we saw in verse 34. We don't have any evidence of a sinner's prayer here or anything like that, but we know is that she made the connection, she's made the connection, that if what Jesus says is true, even she could be forgiven. And she comes into this house where she would have been so looked down upon, it would be palpable to express her love for him. She's there because she loves him. That's how thankful she was for his message. So she stands behind him weeping. She's just standing there. And at some point she kneels down so that her tears begin to cover the feet of Jesus. Enough tears that she could literally use her hair to dry them. And she kissed his feet. And I'm not trying to be crass or funny at all, but, but these are dirty, first century Palestinian feet. Alright, that's what they were, because there's been a breach of etiquette here. We'll get to that in a few minutes, but we need to understand she took no thought for what his feet were like in this hot desert climate. Um, I remember when we first got into Brawley, the, the, it's the desert down in California. The heat is just shocking. Sometimes, and if you wore flip-flops, your, your flip-flops would like melt into the cement as you walked. I mean, it was, it was, 
I mean, not like melt into a pool of rubber, but you know what I mean. Like it was just, it was so hot sometimes, and you're, you know, the the clothes you would get so hot and gross. You know what I mean, right? It was just so hot and just dirt. I mean, there were never socks in this culture. There was never a break, and so just she's kissing his feet. She cried. The tears fell, and she tried to dry them with her hair. She broke open that flask. She poured the oil all over his feet. The fragrance would have filled the room right away. The economists, the accountants at the table, so to speak, would have begun to figure in their minds. Judas would do this. What an absolute waste of perfume. What an absolute waste of money this was. You know, it's, it's, just, it's hard to, to see the scene in our head, but this is what's going on. Don't forget here, this is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, now, then, but before the world ever existed, or time ever began, before there was ever a single angel, the Son, what we call the second person of the Trinity, existed then, He always has, in ineffable holiness and perfection with His Father. This was the Creator of heaven and earth, literally. That's who this is. And a prostitute's hair and tears and hands and sobs and perfume are all over his feet. Now, think about the scripture and what was permitted before and all that it would take for, remember, just the high priest once a year to enter into the presence of God when at that time, again, it was localized very deliberately by God in the holiest of holies. Right? Only he could go in there only once a year and, and the, the care and the precaution it would take. And then you have this scene. And he doesn't tell her to stop. Right? He doesn't shove her away. He's not embarrassed. He just lets it all happen. And the self-righteous are scandalized here. His host, the Pharisee who had invited him in verse 39, Notice this now, sees this, sees that happening as all the evidence he needs to finally dismiss the claims of Jesus. That's how scandalous it was. No prophet sent from his God. No prophet sent from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one in whose presence you had to remove your sandals, the one in whose presence only the high priest can go once a year and in all the proper vestments. No prophet sent from that God would not, first of all, know what kind of woman this is, first of all, but the last thing he would let her do is touch him, especially like this. I mean, imagine how it looks. Everybody there knows who she is. So imagine how it looks that this is happening. Imagine the questions that would have been rising in their minds. Just imagine all the self-presumed respect there is for God in this house. In the eyes of those who were sure they cared for the honor and name of God, this was proof that Jesus was not from him, right? If he, if he knew, if he was a prophet, right? If just forget his claims to be the son of God. That's out the window. If he was a prophet, he, he would know, right? He would know who she is. He'd know her name. He'd know that you, you can't do this. I want you to imagine in the mind of the son of God, our Lord Jesus, as he watches this woman do all this, he's just watching her do all this. As the thoughts of Simon, he said to himself, Simon didn't say that out loud. He said to himself, Simon, who is given a name in the story, we want to remember his name so that we're never anything like him. 
But imagine as, as his thoughts reach the mind of Jesus, and he turns to look at him and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. <laughs> Jesus can read minds. Great. That's, that's great for everybody present. And the Pharisee, maybe shaken out of his condescending inner revelry, says to this man that he now, remember, knows is not a prophet. He says, say it, teacher. And we get this in verse 41. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. So I, I believe a, a day's wages and 500 days wages. Almost two years worth. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Super obvious, right? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now, now, that in and of itself, Jesus' treatment of women is is pristine it's 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 precious do you see what jesus does he humanizes her in a room where she's completely dehumanized because of what she does for a living look at her he says now i just i love that look at her i entered your house you gave me no water for my feet but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair you gave me no kiss but from the time i came in she has not ceased to kiss my feet You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Right? Then those who were at table with him begin to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. That's not awe, that's critique. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This was a uh, an ancient culture of honor and shame, and Simon's lack of honor for his guest is obvious. Again, there's been a major breach of etiquette here that we didn't know was there until it was explicitly revealed in the story. It would have been basic customary etiquette uh, for a host to honor a guest in his home in certain ways. First off would be water for him to wash his feet. That would be first. A kiss of honor on the cheek as he arrived, probably. Maybe even anointing him with oil to honor him. Simon has done none of that. Those that assume moral purity in the presence of Jesus will always fail to show him honor. We don't honor him with good behavior. We honor him with the recognition of our need that only he can meet. The self-righteous cannot love him because the self-righteous do not need him. It is Jesus who frames the actions of the woman as love for him. And it is Jesus who identifies the reason for her love as the fact that her sins, in verse 47, have been forgiven. He actually says that to her in verse 48. I I love that. She, She hadn't come because Jesus had already said that to her, at least not as far as we know. She came because she had realized when she heard his message, maybe God will be merciful even to me. Through the gospel, she had come to love Jesus. 
Beloved, she owed God a ton. We all do. She had a tremendous, overwhelming, insurmountable debt. Right? That's why she's there. She had sinned so much. She had gone into so much debt with God that she had no way to pay her way out. But when she heard Jesus speaking, when she heard His message, what she heard was that the Holy God was canceling debts through this messenger that He sent named Jesus. And she believed, that might be even for me. Maybe I can get in on this. So her alabaster flask lost all worldly value to her all importance to her and became the means by which she could show love for Jesus. That's all she's doing there. right? There's no formality to it at all. She wasn't there to try to pay Him back for what He had done. She's there to say, I, I love you. right? That, that's all she's doing. So Jesus just let her do it. And then He gave her absolution. Your sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. What you believed is true. And then in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's what that was, all of this. It's faith. Her love meant she had believed his message, and that means all her debt is canceled. All of it. All of it. Could you imagine to hear that come from the lips of Jesus, if you were her? In Christ, God put down the record of debt that stood against her and would stamp across it in the blood of His only begotten Son, canceled, canceled, or paid in full. And all the scandal in verse 49, right? All the ones not pouring out alabaster, which is another way of saying all the ones with no grasp whatsoever on the amount of their debt are just beside themselves. And it's... Notice how self how religious their self-righteousness is. They make a true and godly statement. Only God can forgive sins. Right. Absolutely correct. Theologically correct. Only God can forgive sins. Well, guess who Jesus is? Right? Did you hear what Jesus said back at the end of verse 47? But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, did Jesus mean that Men like these Pharisees, about whom he's obviously speaking there, does he mean they didn't have a lot of sins that they committed? It's possible. That's possible. There are people who, if we're just talking quantity, technically sin less than others, right? Absolutely. But Jesus isn't talking about quantity. That's not his point at all. His point is one's comprehension or awareness of his or her own debt before God. That, that's not incurred by quantity, right? That's incurred by humanity, first of all. Because if we want to get specific, if we want to talk quantity, when it comes to offending a holy God, one sin or ten million technically makes no difference. If you owe God, if you're in God's debt, you're done. You're done. So it doesn't matter if you're a dollar in debt, principally, or if you're ten million dollars in debt, it wouldn't matter. If you owe God, you're finished. Why? Because God doesn't take money. God doesn't take good works to make up for bad works. So to offend God is to be condemned, period. And in Jesus Christ, God had come to pronounce the cancellation of debt for all who receive His means of payment, the blood of His Son and nothing else. So the worst place to be then, in light of the fact that Jesus has come is to be self-righteous. The worst place to be 
is in some state of mind where you figure either you don't owe him that much, or, and normally they go together, you could take care of the debt yourself. That kind of transactional view of God and salvation is the reason there's no faith here on the part of these men. Right? In some way, to cry out to God for salvation means, which it has to be granted by the Spirit, some comprehension of the fact that I'm in debt. Right? Because if I don't start there, I'm not going to end in faith. What would be the point of faith? If, if, if I don't need saving, if I don't need forgiving, what does the message of the gospel sound like to me? Right? That kind of transactional view of God and salvation will never produce faith, and it most certainly won't produce love. Right? I mean, think about I don't fall in love with my lender when I make my last car payment. Do you know why? Because he wasn't the one making the payments. I was the one making the payments. He was just the one holding the debt over my head until I pay it off. So when I pay off my debt, there's no dinner for the bank that I'm throwing. There's no party. There's no alabaster ointment for Wells Fargo's feet. There are no tears. The only one I'm grateful for when I finally make the last payment is me. Right? Good job, Tony. Good job. You got rid of that debt. And it took no faith in my lender to keep making those payments. It took me making sure I was doing what I needed to do to generate the income through which I could make the payments. It was all on me. Congratulate me when I pay off my loan. There was nothing for me to believe other than that if I didn't make the payments, they would repossess my car. The cancellation of my debt depended on my work. 100%. And even then... It wasn't a cancellation. It was a termination of a contract because I kept my end of the bargain. There's an eternally vital principle at work in that for our whole lives as Christians in this one little scene. True love for Jesus depends on how much we believe we've been forgiven for. There's one reason she loved much. It's in the text. Why did she love him so much? She knew what she had been forgiven for. She knew she was never going to be able to pay it back. And the love that she felt for the forgiveness of that debt was stronger than her fear of their self-righteous judgment and criticism. It was stronger than her lack of awareness about how Jesus might respond to such a thing. How was he going to respond If what this Jesus said was true, though, she could be forgiven, even her. And the end of verse 47 proves that all failure to love Jesus with the reckless abandon that reveals a knowledge of one's own debt, well, it's a gospel problem, right? We, we, we don't love recklessly because we don't realize we've been forgiven so abundantly. And I'm not here tonight, now that that's been said, I'm not here tonight to list the things you could do then that would show you really love Jesus. I'm not here to send you back to the bank of obligation where you can take out another loan. I'm here tonight only to say, Beloved, do you realize, in light of all that you've ever done, in light of all that you still struggle with, in light of all that you are, Do you realize how deeply loved you are right now, tonight?
by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Do you realize that? Why was she reckless? Right? Why did she love much? I mean, do you realize what you've been forgiven of? You, you ever thought about that? You realize what you've been forgiven of? You realize that it's finished? It's never a good thing to blow your budget or go above your means. I realize that. Moms and dads, have you, or maybe even grandparents, have you ever bought way too much for your kids at Christmas time? You just went completely overboard. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just blown your budget on your kids? Right? Why did you do that? Why do we do that? Well, because you love them so much you can't stand it. Right? So everything that you see that you know they would love to open, you buy it for them. Like, oh man, I thought we were done $200 ago, but man, they love that little... If I, They'll be so excited to have that. So... You buy everything that you know would make, you just buy it. You, you just, you have, you, you throw caution to the wind. No budget in this woman's social life was enough to keep her from getting close to Jesus. The amazing thing is, is that humans shouldn't get close to God, technically. They shouldn't be able to get close to God. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter in the Old Testament if you would have meant well. If you would have clamored into the holiest of holies, you die doesn't matter what, what the good intentions of your heart were. There, was ju- there were just some realities in place. God was God. We were human. We've been thrown out of the garden. We're not just going to go waltzing back in because we really want to show our love or our appreciation. There, were, there was a code. There were ceremonies. There were rituals if you wanted to do that. So it wouldn't have mattered if you meant well. If you went into the Holy of Holies when you weren't supposed to be there, you, you would die. right? You, you, you picked up sticks on the Sabbath... You die. The whole group gathers around and stones you to death and your whole family. Right? That's, that was the reality. And Jesus let a prostitute kiss his feet. And, well, he didn't do that because he was pompous, like he, like he just yawned and as she doled out her pathetic little display of affection because yes, I do deserve this, but it bores me. I'll allow it. No, he, he, he honors it. He loved her. Well, that's how it is now. Beloved, that's how it is now. God's not going to be disrespected. Right? All that God required from humanity, He's gotten in His Son, Jesus Christ. We are saved by throwing ourselves into that and having that righteousness imputed to our account. As though we had shown God the proper amount of honor of which He's worthy. This is how it is now. This is how it is now. Did you know that struggling believer afraid to come back and ask for forgiveness again? Did you know that? You who maybe have never come to him because there's no way he would accept the likes of you, not after what you've done. No, this is how it is now. This is how it is now. He doesn't destroy for closeness anymore. He pardons. He's inviting us to the table to eat with Him. Jesus is honored by the kind of love that shows all our faith is just banking on the kindness we've heard there might be in the Gospel. So just come to Him. Just come to Him. The jig is up. 
If you aren't a wretch, Jesus Christ has nothing for you. But if you are, He has everything for you. We won't, the point is, we we won't love Him in the way that honors Him until we begin to realize how much we don't deserve Him. Right? We'll just end up like Simon on some level. Why wasn't Simon reckless? That's the flip side of the story. Why wasn't Simon reckless? Why, why don't they all have alabaster jars of perfume? Why did he love little? Right? Because that's what Jesus is saying. Right? Why did he love little? Because he didn't believe he had that much debt. So why all the fuss? Right? Why, why all the fuss? Perfume is for the desperate. This is embarrassing. Right? What'd you do, lady? My goodness. I mean, what did she, what did you do that this is how you feel like you have to, and if you'd committed some real sins, then I guess that posture makes sense, but goodness sakes. Yeah, I mean, granted, Simon knew no one was perfect but God alone. Don't you, don't you love that? Well, I mean, like that's a shocking admission to make, like you're really admitting something when you say, I'm not perfect. Oh, you're not God. Awesome. Great. We cleared that up, right? I'm not perfect. That's some major humility. <laughs> I'm not perfect. Great. Yeah. Simon probably saw himself guilty of sins that don't create too much debt. The respectable ones. The ones that are hard to boycott. Right? Pride. Bad temper. Gossip. Complaining. I, I, I read something earlier. I'd never seen this before, and I don't know who said it, but it said... Um, there might be revival if we prayed half as much as we gossip and complain. That one hurt a little bit. If, 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 if that's all you need forgiven for, or all you think you've been forgiven for, right? Just respectable things, not a lot. Then you, you won't embarrass yourself loving Jesus like she did. You, you, every single one of us belong at his feet weeping is, is the point there. Every single one of us technically belong at his feet weeping. There's, there's no human philosophy or mathematical equation that could even measure our debt anyway, right? We don't even know how sin incurs debt other than that we know it does. Like, how, how, far, how far does it separate? Obviously, well more than we can imagine if we, if we just read the Scripture and understand how holy God is and what He would allow in His presence and what He, what he wouldn't. We have no idea then what it means really, and I don't think we can grasp it, that our sins have just been forgiven. They, they've just been forgiven. It doesn't matter what we owe, we can't pay it back. That's verse 42. So church is a group of people whose debt has been forgiven, simultaneously responding in one way or another to how much debt they believe they've been forgiven of. We all respond to Jesus and to one another in direct proportion to how much right we believe we have to be here. So how a revival of the realization of what Jesus has done would would really, I think, set a church on fire. In, In Luke 7, redeemed prostitutes vindicate the wisdom of God, not Pharisees, not the experts in the law. Redeemed prostitutes vindicate the wisdom of God. That's why this story follows the statement in verse 35. And I, I, look, in a spiritual sense, we are all prostitutes. 
We, we, we have, what God calls idolatry, worshiping anything but Him, adultery. Right? We, we, this was Hosea. We're, we're all prostitutes in that we have lent ourselves out to a thousand other gods. Right? We went to a thousand other things to get from them what only God can provide for us. That's idolatry, and God calls that adultery. Hosea is rough. Ezekiel is embarrassing to read. Right? I, I, I'm reading through Ezekiel right now in, in the, the, the thing that I use, and I, I wrote my wife the other day, I, I screenshot a paragraph and sent it to her and said, I, how am I ever going to preach through this book? I mean, the day's gotta come. I have to preach the word. But, but, but God's accusations against Israel and, and Ezekiel are mind-blowing in, in just the shock value of it all. It isn't that she had sinned a lot and he hadn't sinned very much. That's not the issue. It's that she knew how sinful she was and he had no idea. That's what differentiated their response to Jesus. She knew she could never pay him back. He didn't think he owed that much. That determined how they responded to Jesus. But we, we, we all respond to Jesus based on what we think he's forgiven us for. So don't get too respectable for love. Jesus isn't out here showing himself to be amazing for some people, but just pretty decent for others. Right? It, it, it's... That kind of gospel won't draw the ones to our door that Jesus draw to His. Jesus drew to His. There's a reason these are the people He attracted. There's a reason the people that hated Him hated Him. And it's like we're competing to be the group that He didn't like. <laughs> just, just, we're this woman. If we want to get close to Jesus, right, if, if, we're going to have to realize that our sins and our attempts at being good have both distanced us from Him. They both distance us from Him. In other words, if the righteousness of Jesus is the only righteousness God will accept, for me to offer up any other righteousness would be sinful. Right? It would be an extremely demeaning thing to say about Jesus if I'm still bringing my own stuff for God to accept. Reckless love honors Jesus, and that's the love that comes from faith. That's the love forgiveness makes. And it's not for me to say what it looks like for each of us to love Jesus like that. That's not my point, nor is it my place. And I don't think it means, you know, so when we gather or anything like that, you have to put on some display. It's, it's, it's not that. It's just that the principle seems to be that if, if we can't see him unless we're low enough to look up, right? And if, if the gospel is true, then, I mean... I mean, I want to do this to Jesus. I love this story. I, I, I don't have enough hair to wipe his feet with, right? And it, it would be weird. If you were a guy, it would be weird anyway, right? But there would be enough tears for it, I think. And I don't really have any problem, and I, I, I'm sure you don't either, bending low to kiss his feet. But, man, if, if I mean, just, just think about it. If, if, if I got that close to Jesus, I'd hold on so tight. You'd have to pry me off of him. I mean, who who among us wouldn't? Just I've been forgiven of too much, and, and and I know I've been forgiven. I believe that because of what the Bible says. But I wouldn't want him to see my face. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want him. To, I, I just want to bury it. 
in my arms there at his feet and weep and, and kiss his feet. He deserves at least that much. I mean, at least that much. And I'm not, again, I'm not telling you tonight that if you don't cry enough or you don't pour out your perfume or then you might not actually love Jesus. That's, that's not the point tonight. The, the point here is not, so if you really love him, why don't you do more? No. I just want you to know tonight in this story that he loves you, Christian, and he has forgiven you. I just want you to go in peace tonight. That's all I'm hoping. So let's, let's leave whatever effect it might have in real time on our lives. We'll leave that in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, just go in peace. This is true for you and I. And, and if, if you're not a Christian, I want you to know that He loves you and will forgive you of all of it. All of it. And if we could see Him tonight, everything I read in Scripture tells me that I, I, I'm willing to bet He would stand right here and let each one of us come forward and take as much time as each of us needed at His feet to express our love. Right? There are reasons the new heavens and the new earth are eternal. Right? He's got the time. Jesus has the time. He has the heart. And He's got plenty of love to go around. And, and we belong at His feet. We belong at His feet. That's the kind of love that forgiveness makes. Right, let's, let's pray. Linda will come and we'll sing. If you um, have any need at all and you want to pray tonight, I'll be down front as we close here. Father, I thank you for the love of your son, Jesus. Your love, Father, just demonstrated perfectly, fully in him, primarily through his death on the cross for sinners. Lord, that's how you demonstrate your love for them. You sent your son to die for them. And so, Father, we thank you for this moment in the life of Jesus that you let us look in on, that you revealed to humanity. And, Lord, I pray that it would have its effect on us. Lord, I, I, again, we, we don't know what uh, it, it, this looks like in every situation to love you like this, Father, but I, I pray that we would understand that the scene exists because of your mercy and your love. And, and so, Lord, you, would you transform us? Would you break us away from our fear that you won't accept us, Father, when through Christ you, you will forever? And so, Lord, we pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.